Hello, it is 3.48 on Sunday afternoon on the 2nd of August 2015. So, happy second day of the month. And this is Roy's Rocket Radio episode 94. And yes, again, we've managed to record a Sunday podcast, actually on Sunday. It is mid-afternoon, so there is a little bit of background noise, not as quite as recording at night, but not too bad anyway. And before we get on with the main subject of this podcast, which is Windows 10, let's just roll through the news. So first of all, staff. Now, I've put out a request for people who are interested to maybe contribute on an informal basis to the podcast, and surprisingly few people have been willing to sound silly over the internet. So, no one else yet apart from me. I'm here for the duration, but the search does go on, like the search for Spock which probably isn't helping me find anyone, if you're not a nerd, but then if you're not a nerd, you wouldn't want to be on the podcast anyway. Okay, writing. My current writing schedule. I'll keep this short because I don't want to bore anyone (laughs) with what I'm not doing. I'd rather tell you what I am doing. The first priority is to finish the first three chapters of the novel, Although I've already finished several times over, I keep finding little things that I need to change to make it sound better, more coherent, more gripping. To finish that first three chapters and then send it to a publisher. So that's the main thing. The second thing, and this is more to finish bits of work that I started ages ago and also to up my profile, is to finish some short stories polish them, redraft them, get them in shape to be published as Kindle ebooks. Several of the stories have already been written, but again, on second perusal, they look like they need work. I already have one horror story out on Kindle, which I don't plan on changing, and that is Glassy. So if you're interested, go to my website at roymatur.com click on shop, click on glassy and buy and review the book please, or the short story rather. Finally, I'm writing a new screenplay for a TV series and I'll let you know more about that as I do it. And that is it for my news this week. Okay, next, TV. The final episodes of Humans is on tonight. And I am really looking forward to it. I have enjoyed the series so far. I read a bit about the original Swedish series, and apparently the creator Lars Lundström has said in an article in The Independent that he thinks the Channel 4 adaptation is good, but can't really understand why we didn't get the original Swedish version with subtitles real humans, which is what most other countries apart from the UK and the USA got. 
he retracted a bit later, saying, well, he doesn't think that this adaptation is bad. In fact, he thinks it's good, but it's certainly a lot different. And he also said that he hopes that the British and USA audience at some stage gets to see his original, which is slightly different. And I think I will do that because I enjoyed the series Humans immensely. If anyone's interested, I looked it up on IMDb, and apparently the Swedish series is called Real Humans from 2012, so it's quite a way back. And in Swedish, and I'll probably completely mangle this, so if you're Swedish, don't send me your hate mail. Oh, you know what? Send me your hate mail. Any mail's better than no mail. Actor Maniscore. Now, there's two... Omelets, I think, in there, so I don't know if I've messed that up completely, but apparently that's the Swedish original name for the series. I've enjoyed everything about this series. Maybe it's because I'm such a nerd and just relate to robots more than people. At the beginning of the series, it seemed like the main focus of the drama was around this family that had bought a domestic robot played by Gemma Chan. But as the series progresses, it becomes increasingly clear that the main focus of the story is on this family of robots and one cyborg. I remember there was a Doctor Who adventure called the... Robots of Death, I think. And that also had a character who related more with robots, but in an, in an entirely negative and disturbing way that we'll have to talk about in another episode where we focus more on Doctor Who. What else did I read about humans? Oh yeah, I looked it up on IMDb as I said and I found a bit of IMDb trivia Gemma Chan who plays sorry I'm reading from the IMDb entry here Gemma Chan who plays Anita slash Mia also played a character called Mia in Doctor Who The Waters of Mars now I remember that adventure and for the life of me I can't remember her character in that Doctor Who adventure. That was back in 2005. So be sure to catch Real Humans tonight. I certainly am. And that's really it for the bulk of the podcast. Other bits, not the bulk of the podcast, sorry, but the uh, the less than bulk of the podcast. What would that be? One quarter of the podcast? The minor bits, anyway. Okay, next, technology, Windows 10. Now, I don't know if you out there have already upgraded to Windows 10, but out of curiosity, an insane level of curiosity, I decided to take the plunge. I live-tweeted during my upgrade... So the next bit will be me looking at my Twitter feed from that time and describing what 
happens as it happens. So it all started on July the 29th when I posted my last tweet, a very self-publicising tweet, getting people to listen to the podcast 93, which was Doctor Who, the Enemy of the World. And then I started the download process for Windows 10. The first thing I posted was telling people that if they haven't got that notification message, which I didn't, they can try a direct download from Microsoft itself. And I can read out the URL now. It's microsoft.com slash en hyphen us slash software hyphen download slash Windows 10. Obviously, if you're in a different language, that all will be slightly different. Now, what happened next? Just trying to scroll gently with my mouse. Just trying to squeeze everything onto one screen along with Audacity and everything. It's a bit difficult. Ah, okay, so my next entry is actually on July the 30th, it's, which will tell you how long it took me to download the update. And then I started the update on the 30th. Let's see... And then after a certain number of hours, it actually started the install. So there were three different messages coming up. First downloading, then upgrading, then installing. Getting to just 30% of the install took a long, long time. Between 32% and 40%, I tweeted, this is like watching paint dry on the entire surface of the QE2. <laughs> Eventually I got to 83, 84%. Got so bored I retweeted my last podcast again. Let's see. Ah, yes, and at 84%, something rather interesting happened. A message popped up asking me for my password, my Windows password. Now, I do have a Windows password, but it's set to automatically log me into Windows, so I don't know what my own password is. It's kept in a highly, highly encrypted file that I almost never look at. So, of course, when this message popped up, I couldn't look up the file because I would need to run my decrypting software and without a workable copy of Windows, I couldn't. So, complete calamity. And this is all due to the usual techie pessimism paranoia that I've got such a complicated way of getting to my password. But anyway, at 10 to 4, knowing that some friends were about to close shop at 4, I grabbed my hard drive, jumped in the car, 
drove to my friend's place, used their computer to retrieve the password, and then drove home again. I finally then put the password in, continued with the install process, and finally, 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 at the very least 36 hours later, and I'm being conservative here, I can only estimate, but around 36 hours, I had managed to install Windows 10. Now, I suppose I should tell you about my conclusions about Windows 10. Well, the most obvious thing was it took a really long time to do. Actually, looking at my notes, it was a lot more than four, 36 hours. It was nearer 48 because there were other things to tweak after I'd done the upgrade. Now, this is a bit of a spoiler, but I'm no longer using Windows 10. I'm back to Windows 7. And just to let you know, to completely from scratch, from a bare disk, install Windows 7, and not just do an upgrade, it took me six hours. So that's a big difference. Mind you, there was a similar problem upgrading to Mac OS X Mavericks from Mountain Lion. That also took a phenomenally long time. So this isn't a situation unique to Microsoft. Next, talking of Mac OS X, there is another comparison that I need to make with it. In its raw default state, without tweaks, Windows 10 makes my hand hurt just like Mac OS X. There is, in my opinion, far too much mousing to do. Not quite as bad as Mac OS X, but still up there. Also, the UI, the user interface, takes up way too much screen space. Some of it looks quite comical. I'm not sure why that is. The edges of the windows just look more chunky. There's another bit that annoys me too. It looks like a half-buttocked attempt at a touch interface mixed with Windows 7. So it actually looks a bit worse than Windows 8. It's as if between Windows 7 and Windows 8, Microsoft really couldn't decide what they wanted to do. There was, more disturbingly, somewhat a bit of a driver problem that I had. You see, let me backtrack a bit. I did the upgrade on two machines. I have a Mac Mini that was running Windows 7 and then ran Windows 
10 after the update and I also have a netbook that was running Windows 7. Incidentally both of them were running Windows 7 Ultimate so the default upgrade is to Windows 10 Pro. And the problem was not so much with Mac Mini, the Mac Mini, because I don't have that much um, equipment plugged into it that requires drivers. I've got a lot of equipment plugged into it, but a lot of it's analog, so it doesn't really require anything else to be installed. But on the netbook, which is an HP 210, I'm lucky enough to have the Synaptics touchpad. Now, if you think back, Synaptics are a company that make touchpads for laptops. And they got themselves in trouble with Apple a while back. The driver version that I like, and which was the driver that got them in trouble with Apple, sorry, was version 17 point something or other. The point is, this turns your normal Synaptics touchpad into something with gestures, with tap zones, and it's really great, and it means that you do not need to use the mouse buttons anymore. Because there's one thing that drives me absolutely crazy, it's having to depress the physical button on a mouse pad. Seems completely unnecessary. I always use the top right of my mouse pad as the secondary click button. And you can't do that with standard drivers, and you can't do that with drivers later than 17. So 19 doesn't seem to work, which is the latest driver for the Synaptics touchpad. And herein lies the main problem with Windows 10. It does these automatic updates. So if you have a need for an old driver, like I do, Windows will constantly try and overwrite them. I think there has been some news from other sources on the internet about this, but mainly aimed at graphic drivers, which in theory could be even more disastrous, because if you can't start your graphics drivers, then you can't see what's happening on screen, and it can be a complete disaster. But this was disaster enough for me. In the end, I found a solution, and that is that you need to download a hide update patch. Which is really silly, because isn't Windows 10 supposed to do everything for you? Anyway, I downloaded this update patch, ran it, and it took absolutely ages. I'm talking about hours, actually. It took hours to find the updates that I'd installed, and then allowed me to hide that Synaptics 19 problematic version so that I could install my own version 17. Now, I don't know, this really bothers me. 
Because it, again, it seems to point to a clutch on Microsoft's behalf. On the one hand, they want to make it as easy for users as possible. On the other hand, when things go wrong, they really go wrong, and there's very little you can do unless you have some kind of technical expertise. I can't imagine many end users being able to sort this out themselves. And I don't know, Microsoft wanted to hide all this stuff from the user. And then they go and do this. And it's not just the patch, it's other things, like hiding bits of the menu. Okay, so the start menu is back, but when you click on it, you get this vastly simplified menu. And I can't tell you how long it took me to find out that you needed to right-click on the start button to get the traditional bits of the start menu, things like control panel. I managed to do it accidentally once or twice, and then it was really frustrating trying to figure out how I did that. Of course, I could have just Googled it or looked for help, but, you know, as a techie, we never do that. <laughs> but yeah, I think that could have been a lot more intuitive. If they were going to bring back the start menu, why didn't they just bring it back properly? The driver problem, yeah, I've moaned about that enough, and I think that taking control for updates away from users is an incredibly bold and ambitious and, okay, laudable plan if you can pull it off, but Microsoft obviously can't pull it off, and saying that they, they can is a little disingenuous, and it's just asking for trouble. Finally, the update is going to mess up for people running older loaders for pirated versions of Windows, which at this stage is huge swathes of the world. The overwhelmingly positive reaction to the inaccurate Reuters story, which was incidentally swallowed by all the top and very lazy tech press, about how Windows would be free and bring everyone into the fold was really an opportunity for Microsoft to reevaluate their release strategy, which they, of course, in the usual Microsoft way, totally, in fact, failed to do. By reevaluating the strategy, I mean they should have realized wow, this is a chance indeed even though it's not what we planned, but it's a chance for us to get the entire world legal with our software. But instead they backtracked. Now, what else can I moan about? Okay, security. There is a lot, and I mean a lot of stuff, that Microsoft wants you to share with them. And a lot of it seems to be on by default. My advice is to turn it all off. 
go to settings, privacy, and tweak the privacy settings. A blogger out there has kindly written a guide on how to do this, and if you look in my show notes, the URL will be in there. I suggest you do click on that URL if you're using Windows 10 and work your way down the security checklist. I'm not sure that Microsoft are doing anything more than Facebook or Google are doing, but when you look down the list, it's an intimidating number of things that they want you to share with them. And for no reason that I can really fathom, no positive reason for yourselves, unless you do want targeting advertising and want to remain in the filter bubble. But okay. Now, good points. Okay, alright, it's not all bad. The OS itself, Windows 10 works if you can bear the UI, which I really can't, and don't have needs for specialised older drivers, i.e. like me with a latest Synaptic touchpad driver, which sucks compared to the old Synaptic's touchpad driver. The other thing is Edge. Edge is the new browser from Microsoft, the replacement to Windows Explorer, Internet, sorry, not Windows Explorer, Internet Explorer. Now, I did a side-by-side comparison. I didn't do anything fancy like sit here with a stopwatch. But I had my Firefox open on one side of the screen and Edge opened on the other side of the screen. Now, I should tell you, I used Edge with no additional plugins, just in its raw, streamlined, one assumed state. And my version of Firefox, on the other hand, has half a dozen plugins is usually big and is a huge memory grabber but even then it is slow it feels slow and clunky microsoft edge that is presumably that's because it's new and it needs tweaking but it did not feel like an end product okay the other thing about Windows 10 is it really feels like it wants to control every aspect of what you do. It's a lot more big brotherish, or it feels that way than earlier versions of Windows. In conclusion, I suppose what I really should say is this will be an inevitable upgrade. But for now, I'm back on Windows 7. It was a real job and a half getting Windows 7 back on my machines, but compared with getting Windows 10 on, it was a breeze. So it's been quite a ride these last few days.
Why did I do this in the first place? Well, mainly it was just an insane level of curiosity. I just really wanted to find out what Windows 10 was like. And to do it properly, I needed to do it on a variety of machines. So I did it on a desktop, and not just any desktop, but a bootcamped desktop. So it should be slightly more difficult than other people's desktop PCs, and I did it on a laptop, my very old netbook with fairly low-spec hardware. The other reason that I did it is because, you know, honestly, I'm, as well as being a tech journo and a writer, mainly a writer nowadays, but I have been a tech journalist, and an entertainment journalist, so it's a lighter side of tech and consumer electronics. But as an ex-tech, I was sick and tired, sick to the back teeth about reading, listening and watching other know-it-all tech, and I'm saying tech in inverted commas, journalists, who would be hard-pressed to find the on button on their own PC going on 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 about about how good Windows 10 is without actually knowing what they're talking about. So unlike these other people, I actually tried it. Oh, and one more thing before we leave the whole Windows 10 saga behind. Now, I said Windows 10 ran fine on both my machines, and it did. It did. But the one slight thing I noticed about the laptop is the fan was on constantly. Now, I don't know if this was because I just kept my laptop on for too long, but even turning it off and turning it on again, the fan was on a lot more than it was on for, let's say, well, Windows 7, uh, various versions of Ubuntu. And what it really reminded me of is Years ago, I had a different laptop, not a netbook, but a full desktop replacement, or what was a desktop replacement at that time, a Toshiba. And that came with Windows Vista, and that also constantly had the fan on. So I don't know if it's just more resource-hungry, or that was just a blip. But that's something to bear in mind if you're running it on older hardware. Ah, and yeah, no, no, I have one more thing to say. Just like Columbo. Uh, now, I talked about the interface being, in my view, a bit crude looking, blocky, uh, large bits of wasted space. The other thing I forgot to mention, but I found it really difficult to get on with, and perhaps the most difficult thing, which is a bit stupid for me to forget saying it, was the lack of depth. Windows 10 looks really, really flat. Now, I've got normal depth perception. There's nothing wrong with my eyesight. I wear glasses, but that's it. But I found it really tiring to look at because there was no sense of depth. I noticed on some of the themes available in Windows 10, I did click a f 
on a few different ones. I also downloaded an old Windows theme, Rainy Day, that some of the other themes do give you a tiny, tiny bit of drop shadow. So if you know how to use a photo editing program, you'll know how to add drop shadow, which is a shadow effect around things like lettering or a box that you would draw in a graphics editing program. It just gives a sense of depth to what you're looking at. It's not good. It just was extremely tiring for me to use. And apart from all the other problems, that was probably the most annoying. I just found Windows 10 a bit hard on my eyes. Microsoft isn't solely responsible for flat displays. I mean, it all seems to have started off with iOS and Johnny Ives flattening everything for, for, for some <laughs> bizarre and unknown reason. I think it was just for the sake of messing with us, but there you are. So that's another thing to look out if you're thinking of upgrading. At the moment, though, Windows 7 will be supported until... Uh, until? Until 2020. So there's no real rush to do it. If you don't have to do it, don't do it. Of course, when you get a new machine, it will be done for you, which will save you the pain of doing it yourself. What I did do, though, just in case, and knowing that the upgrade for Windows 10 is only available for one year, free of charge, I did take the option of downloading the ISO file. So I've got a dual ISO file with 64-bit and 32-bit Windows 10 Professional. You can still download it on the URL that I mentioned earlier. I'll mention it once more. So that's microsoft.com slash en hyphen us slash software hyphen download slash Windows 10. Okay, so I think that's about all I wanted to talk about regarding Windows, the good bits and the bad bits, and why I decided to put myself through this interesting experience. Okay, next, Facebook and the ongoing saga of Roy trying to turn his business page back into a personal profile. Now, I've been moaning about this for a few weeks now. What I did was stupidly combine all my separate business pages into my one personal profile, then thought, oh, maybe I should just turn the whole thing into a page. Well, the problem with that is once you've done it, unless you're Barack Obama with five billion followers, you suddenly find it almost impossible to communicate with everyone. Nothing seems to work. Chat doesn't work. I can't join things. Can't seem to post to other people's pages. It just becomes a bit of a dead duck. 
Now, I found several places to complain to Facebook about this, um, but I have had absolutely no results so far. There is a contact page that I've put into the show notes where you can try and get Facebook to change your page back into a profile, as a lot of you out there um, seem to want to do. <laughs> a lot of you out there have made the same stupid mistake I have made. But Facebook is notorious in not offering any support whatsoever. As is, well, everyone else. Google, they're all the same. One point of view that I've heard from many people in a lot of different forums is that, you know, it's free, so what are you complaining about? Well, free doesn't necessarily mean poor quality, does it? Or it shouldn't do. So I'm not happy about that. So Facebook, if you're listening, change my page back into a profile. Thus, I'll moan even more. Okay, finally, I just wanted to mention something about this podcast, the audio formats used in the podcast, because I thought it might be of interest to people out there. The sound input for this podcast is in linear pulse code modulation. So that's LPCM. It's basically it's a WAV. I use a sampling frequency of 96 kilohertz at 24 bits per sample value. Now that sounds all like gobbledygook, but for comparison, a high quality DVD video audio track is recorded at 48 kilohertz at 16 bit which is about, well, it's not exactly, but it's roughly half the quality of the sound that I record. Once I've got that sound, I edit it and finally output the whole thing into an MP3, which is what you're listening to now, whose sample rate is 48 kilohertz at 128 kilobits per second and the whole thing is in joint stereo which really means I've recorded in mono but the same mono sound is coming out from each speaker. I would never record a podcast in pure stereo because well it's not the most pleasant thing to hear if you're listening to dialogue only so just bear that in mind if you're a podcaster out there. Mono podcasts output in joint stereo are what you want. Now, if you are listening over this podcast, you'll notice that some podcasts sound substantially different to others. That's because of one thing. Now, although I am recording always in 96 kilohertz, 24-bit, WAV. That's only 
the recording format, the sound actually has to travel through microphones before it gets to be recorded at that particular quality. Most of the time I'll use my onboard mixer and a mic, both of which are fairly cheap and budget, budget studio equipment, very budget, hardly qualifies as studio equipment, more like fancy volume control. The other times when I don't want to sit at my desk, I'm using a portable recorder, which is a Sony PCM-M10, also recording at that same quality, but going through very, very sensitive microphones. So the microphones make all the difference, which is why sometimes the podcasts, when I'm using the Sony, sound very, very sharp, almost too sharp. Whereas when I'm using the desk mic, or the, you know, it's a normal dynamic mic fed into a mixer, it sounds slightly duller, but easier to listen to. So what I'm getting at is mics make a lot of difference. Why does it all eventually sound average anyway? Yeah, why doesn't my podcast sound like the BBC, despite me recording at such high quality? Well, apart from the fact that I'm not using as expensive equipment as the BBC, there's also things like acoustics to take into account. I'm not in a recording studio, I'm just in a normal room. And there's also background noise, because I am in a normal non-insulated room. And finally, I'm not a studio engineer. (laughs) But I am trying, and I hope you do enjoy the podcast, and I hope that this last bit has shed some light on how I make the podcast, and hopefully it will help you make a better podcast too. Wow. So, thanks for listening. Um, Let's see, I've been talking for 42 minutes, so it's about time to take a break. And we'll be back next week as usual, hopefully Sunday, but no guarantee on that, because, well, you know what my schedule is like, all my powers of scheduling. So, this was Roy's Rocket Radio, recorded on Sunday, the 2nd of August 2015, this was episode 94, the time at the end of the show is 35 minutes past 4 in the afternoon. Bye!